Now that's quite a song to follow, man, I tell ya. I like that. Um, wow. Wow. Singers, way to go, guys. Okay. Okay, I forgot what I was going to preach. Okay. It's, I got a green light. I got a green light. Green light. Can you hear? I know you guys hear. How about... Brian, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian's old. Let me try someone else. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. If you're visiting with us, that's what you do when you preach. You insult the members first, all right? And then see if you can try and hold on to your job. It's a great game here. Okay, we good? We can hear. All right. Um, John and Sarah, great job. Great job. They, uh, they stole some of my message. So great job, you, you thieves. You, you divine thieves. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like as an evangelist, it is my responsibility to rebuke John Scamardella. He said... I am proud of my wife, Sarah. Now, folks, James 4 and 1 Peter 5 both say God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So can we all join in in rebuking John there? Right? <laughs> now, but here's the thing. I'm a hypocrite. Because yesterday, Deb shared at the workshop, and I told her I was proud of her, too. So I'm standing up in front of you. We're going to talk about pride, but yet John's just flinging it out there. I'm flinging it out there. Well, I mean, James and Peter could not be more clear. But then you bring in Galatians 6, right around verse 3, that says, if anyone is... Nothing, I mean, if anyone claims to be something when he is nothing, that isn't talking about value, that's talking about an inability, all right? He deceives himself. Each person must, you know, use their gifts and take pride in the gifts they have. That's a rough paraphrase, all right? You are supposed to have pride, according to Galatians 6. You're supposed to look at your life, see your strengths, your gifts, and say, this is good, I'm proud of this. So, it was very biblical for John to say, I'm proud of my wife, Sarah. Very biblical for me to say, I'm proud of Deb. So, what's the deal? James and Peter say, God's going to oppose the proud, and yet in Galatians, Paul says, be proud. Well, it comes down to really where the pride is, right? When you think about a definition of pride, what I think about, I think about respect or assignment of value. Okay? If I'm proud, like John was proud of Sarah, he respects Sarah. He assigns value to her and what she shared there, okay? That's a good thing, right? And when you look at your life and see your strengths that God has given you, respect that. Assign value to that. 
There's such thing as a false humility. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. No, that's, that's just prideful. Because what that means is you have in your mind what strengths you think you ought to have, and because you don't have it, you're nothing. And you deny the very things God has endowed you with that you have to help people and serve in this kingdom. So this thing of pride, respect, assignment of value. What is it that James and Peter were talking about? They're talking about when a person respects or assigns value more to themselves rather than God. More than God. When I assign respect or value to myself more than any person, that's prideful. That's the pride that God will oppose. And yet, you know what? That's the very beast we've all battled since the beginning. In Genesis 3, what was the issue? The issue was that Adam and Eve thought they knew better. They respected their view, their opinion, their ideas more than they respected God's. Therefore, they took of what was forbidden. They respected that. And then what happened there? They each saw that they were naked. Now, sex, rather than being part of God's glorious creation, became a tool to abuse and dominate and hurt. And so all of a sudden now, the respect, they're learning how to respect each other more than they do one another. And we come on down to Cain and Abel, and we come to everything coming apart of the scenes. Why? My way, my idea is better than your way, your idea. That's the pride. I respect myself more than God or more than you. And that's the thing that God will oppose. I want us to see how this works. And I do want you to remember the communion, especially what, what Sarah was sharing there. Because this connects a lot to what we're going to share. Let's see how this works in our life. Look over at Luke, the seventh chapter. Luke chapter seven. At the workshop yesterday, I saw some of the people there, uh, some of our members, and it was so great. And I'll share more about that in a second. But wow, wow. I thought it was going to be good. I got blown away. Just for me, it was magnificent. It was awesome. But I, I told him, I said, you know, be prepared. Yeah. I'm going to be stealing something, all right? So if you think, wow, this sounds familiar, it ain't just a thought, folks. Very much a fact. In Luke 7, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. I always love that. Because Simon's thinking this to himself, and Jesus answers him. It's like, oops. <laughs> oops, he can read my mind. Jesus answers him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Two men owed a, the verse 41, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, a denarii is a day's wage, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on, her, on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Three people in this scene. Simon the Pharisee, Jesus the Christ, and woman the sinner. It's an interesting thing. In New Testament times, hospitality was paramount virtue. You did not refuse hospitality. Someone would come in your house, you gave them water for their feet to wash their feet because it was all dusty and they wore these sandals, and you usually gave them a, a kiss on the cheek. You know, it's a way of greeting, bringing someone in, and even some anointing, all right, to do that. It was a sign of honor, a sign of respect, a sign of assigning value too. Simon did none of that for Jesus. This is not a man that's a learner. This is a man that's a critic. And so he's going to catch Jesus here, so he thinks. This woman cries on Jesus' feet. Back in those days, there'd be a, a small table, just a little bit off the floor in the middle, and the men would lean on their left so on their left elbow with their feet out backwards. You'd be reclining. And they would be, you know, eating and dipping. So Jesus is there. His feet are back there. This woman comes in and starts crying out of gratitude on his feet, wetting his feet with, with her tears. There is no towel that Simon should have offered when her, his feet were to be cleaned. So she takes her hair, which is a sign of intimacy. I mean, she is breaking taboos here. But she is so grateful, so in love, so thankful. That's what she's doing. She takes this, this alabaster jar perfume, expensive, and pours it on his feet. Now, what does this do for Jesus? Does it somehow make him taller? Make him richer? Make him? No, it does a nothing like that. Except the respect the love, the assignment of value. Wow. This woman thought that Jesus was it. 
I respect God. I assign value to God more than to myself. Therefore, here, I give it all. No hesitancy. Forgiveness is a crazy thing, isn't it? When you know you've been forgiven, there is a peace that's hard to describe. When you're forgiven by God, there is that peace and there's that gratitude that all of a sudden it becomes almost uncontrollable coming out. What can I do? You know you can't earn it, but it's like, oh my goodness, I get to change. I get to be different. Look at this opportunity. I don't deserve it. Look what he's done for me. Here am I. Send me. So what's the deal? What's the deal? Why is it that Simon doesn't get it? I want to read a, not a parallel passage, but a passage dealing with the way that some of the religious teachers thought back in those days. And we see the same type of thinking in Simon. Look at John chapter 5. And we'll go back and forth between these two. John 5, <clears throat> verse 31. Jesus, again, is talking to religious leaders. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that uh, I accept human testimony, but I mention it so that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony that is weightier than that of John. For the very work the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? This was not said to atheists or agnostics. This was not said to Buddhists or Islamic. This was not said to Zoroastrianism or anything else. This was said to teachers of the people of God. This was said to Simon, guys like Simon. So what's the deal with Simon when we look in Luke 7? Look at it. Two ways, and there are more, guys. I, I, we don't have time, but you guys go back and study this in your quiet time. Pride versus humility, Simon and the woman. But there are two ways I want us to think about right now. How was Simon's pride displayed? Number one, Simon's pride. He respected and assigned value to his religion over Jesus' religion. That's the first place he messed up. Okay? We see that in, in just the whole way he is acting right here. The whole idea, the way he views people, the way he views himself... 
the way he dismisses Jesus. Now, we may say, you know what? I, I believe in relationship, not religion. I know that, don't we all? But we're all, we all have religion. It's a religion of Christ. It's following Jesus. And what happens oftentimes, though, is we can know all the right things about Christianity, but not be a Christian. Isn't that what Jesus is saying to the, the leaders there? You diligently study the Scriptures, and you think you have eternal life. These guys could outquote any of us on the Scriptures. Outquote it. Memorize entire books. The Pharisees would give alms to the poor. They would fast. They would pray several times, and they were devoted to the study of the Scriptures. They knew the Bible, but they didn't know God. How in the world does that happen? Very easy. It's happened to me. Whenever I care more about learning about the Bible than connecting to Jesus, I am in trouble. Yesterday and the day before was just, like I said, for me personally, magnificent. Um, I went there to make sure I'm thinking well. And, I mean, this is bad. This is really bad, all right? Um, I went there because I wanted to understand, okay, how to, how to help women and minister and make sure that I'm being who I need to be and ministering and including and all that. No, God got me there so that I'd change my heart. So that I would learn more about how to be a disciple and a Christian. I don't care, woman, man, doesn't matter who it is, who has a heart for God? And you see that when you go to John 12 and see Mary Bethany uh, anointing Jesus. What did Jesus do? Said, pointed to her and then pointed to all the apostles. Been with them for three years. Heard the best teaching. Heard all of this and said, boys, that's what I'm talking about. Learn from her. The idea is not to become more knowledgeable about the Word of God, the idea is to love me. Pour out for me. It's all about me. The Scriptures are supposed to bring it to me. But if you miss that, if it becomes an intellectual thing, hey, I can quote the Bible. Great! But do you know the Master? Do you love Him more? Is your heart softer? Is that what you want? Man, the pride is so big here in Simon. He's done all these good things. He's not cheated on his wife. He doesn't beat his kids. He pays his taxes. He does all these things. And it's no good because he doesn't have a connection to Jesus. We don't know what this woman's sin was. We don't know. People want to speculate. No need to speculate. Let's just say this. This woman couldn't even begin to quote the scriptures he could. Mm. Then couldn't do all of the wisdom and all of that, but yet there she is with God himself. Close, forgiven. And her resume would not impress anyone. Didn't have to. Mm. She had Jesus. Amen. Here's the thing I want to challenge all of us on. I want us to be Christians. Something I, I appreciate deeply about, you know, Steve Kennard is a dear friend, and I've always respected, I've always valued his scholarship and his, you know, understanding of the Word. But the thing I really love about Steve is he goes deep. He'll cite all these sources. 
He'll talk, tell you what the original language says. He does all that. But then he puts it into practicality. How do you use all of this learning and today, Sunday, January 19th, 2020, how do you live it? How do you live it with, with financial issues? How do you live it with health issues? How do you live it with relationship issues? How do you live it in your marriage, your parenting, your work, all of this? How do you do it? That's the thing I love about Steve. The Word of God, he'll lay it out, but then he goes, so what? So what, what the Greek says. So what, what all the cultural background. Bottom line, folks, what are we going to do with it? My son-in-law and daughter went on the uh, Israel trip uh, that Steve and Doug Jacoby uh, take. My son-in-law is, is, is working toward a, his doctorate. And, uh, you know, he loves studying. He loves scholarly things. But he was talking to me, the thing he loved about being on the bus with Kennard is going, and Kennard would point out this, and here's what happened here, and, you know, give the cultural background, but then he'd make a devotional life. Mm. And that's what my son-in-law said. It was so awesome, because he'd talk about the facts, but then it's the devotional part. Mm. How do we love Jesus more because of all this stuff? I want to challenge you. How much do you really know Jesus? Well, Sheridan, we're Christians. Yeah, that's the thing we got to be careful of. You ought to know more about Him now than you did the day you were baptized. You ought to be wanting to know more about Him. You ought to be, when talking with one another, that's what Christians do. Atheists don't do that. Christians do that. Let's talk about Jesus, who He is, how we're living in Him, what that means, the life He's come to bring. Brother, sister, how are you doing? Those are the conversations you engage when you're connected to Him. If you're not having those conversations, you need to go back and see if your pride is keeping you from really connecting. If you have a religion, but you're just far from Jesus. There's Simon, thinking he's in control, but totally missing the boat. Second area, his pride rears his head, is in his righteousness. Now, what do we mean by that? You know, righteousness just means what it means to live right. In whose eyes? In God's eyes, right? In God's eyes. So, Simon is of the opinion that he's okay. He is totally deluded. This man has not missed a synagogue meeting, and whoever knows has had all the great instructions, so he thinks that he's okay. But his idea of being right is dependent upon other people. And so other people become a benchmark to him. I pray more than this woman. I've given more than this woman. I live better than this woman. I haven't done this stuff than this woman. And Jesus, this rabbi, is he really a prophet? I hear all this. But let's see, I mean, look, what prophet would let a woman like that touch him? Mm. What prophet? I mean, my goodness. If it weren't for people, Simon wouldn't know how to evaluate himself. He's got to stay ahead. He's critical. He's, he, you know, looks at people and like, you know, there, there's the comparison right there. And look what uh, Jesus had said in John 5. He goes, you guys... 
Man, you seek to obtain praise from one another, but you don't seek the praise that comes from God. What mattered was that the group was okay, but I'm not personally going to change anymore beyond that. I've, I'm being religious. I'm doing my stuff. And you know what? As long as I'm, uh, Ramon and I are right there. Okay, we're together. All right. But man, Ramon, don't you dare do something different or more. All right? Then Ramon becomes a threat. So I've got to stay ahead of Ramon. That way I'm, I'm great. I'm good. How do you think about one another? How do we think about it? Is it prideful? Are we just seeking to obtain the praise that comes from one another? Or staying ahead of one another and we find ourselves being critical of people? I'm sure that there was a lot to be critical about from a human perspective in this woman's life. Again, it doesn't specify she lived a sinful life, but you know, I mean, that's not a great rep, is it? Apparently Luke said, hey, the woman, she's a sinful woman. <laughs> she lived a sinful life. I don't know what her rep was. But I'm sure, you know, if from a human point of view, Simon had a feast. Look at this, 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 this. And the whole time Jesus going, look at this woman. He's looking at her too. Isn't she amazing? Isn't she awesome? Why? Because her heart is wide open, pouring it out. We're afraid of being that way. Let me lay it out, guys. Right here in this region, we're afraid. Trying to encourage people to go an extra mile is like you think you shot their dog when you mention it. It's unbelievable. You know what? Please don't ever do anything for me. Or to quote, please me. You know, preacher says this, I'm just part of the, 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 the region. But what there needs to be, there needs to be some tears. There needs to be some heartbreak mm. over the fact that we've respected ourselves more than Jesus. We've respected our way of being right more than just coming to him. Here I am. I'm yours. We've held on to things. We've held on to our schedule. We hold on to our hobbies. We hold on to our money. We hold on to everything. And you know what? Have fun with schedule, hobbies, money. I don't care but give your heart totally to Christ. But that's scary. I personally hate emotions. Mm. That's horrible. But if I'm just being honest. I hate it. I get emotional. But I'm so afraid of them. I guess I don't hate it so much as I'm petrified of them. Yeah. I don't want to cry. I always get afraid. What if I start crying and never can stop? <laughs> Seriously. I think, oh my gosh, you go over the precipice. There is no coming back. The boy's going down. It's over. Scares me to death. <laughs> Priscilla's going to be my crying buddy there. All right, she's going to do it for me, all right? No, I, I need to be wide open. I need to let the forgiveness of Jesus melt my heart. You know what, guys? When I got baptized... It was on a Sunday morning, first Sunday service I went to, ever. And I just turned to the guy next to me. I said, is this when you become a Christian? He goes, yeah. I go, okay. And I went forward the invitation, got baptized. The Super Bowl was that night. 
<laughs> so I'm leaving church, and uh, one of the brothers go, hey, I'll see you tonight. I go, tonight? You're going to watch a game? He goes, no, service, evening service. I go, really? There's a, I didn't know there were two services on Sunday. Like I said, this is the first Sunday. I'd go, it's a long story. Went to Bible talk, studied, you know, way back when, but never went to church. And I go, really? I said, okay. And that was it. I love football. I never missed the Super Bowl. Missed it that night, just didn't care. Come on. Did not care. Is that really? The body's, oh, I'll be there. First thing I did when I went home, I asked my roommates to come to church. I said, I got baptized. They were thinking, I, we knew this was going to come. We knew this was going to happen. Nobody told me to go do that. Why did I do that? You know the thing about love? It makes you crazy. And you know the thing about love? It's a sign that you're saved. Think about love. It comes from a heart that's grateful for what Jesus has done for you. And you start approaching life open-ended. You approach life. What needs to get done? Is the body of Christ hurting here? What can I do? You don't have to take everything on yourself, but what is your part? How have you engaged? Do it because Sheridan's come up with a great plan. Sheridan doesn't come up with diddly squat. It is because of what Jesus has done in your life. If you are not loving, you are not experiencing forgiveness. That's the truth. That's the difference here. That's why this woman, she didn't think her right way of living was better than Jesus. She was all about, look at what he's done for me. Let me show you one other passage. Look over in Luke 17. The tragedy in all of this, I have a friend of mine that uh, when he would preach, he, he would make this quote, and it's not in the scriptures, but the uh, sentiment is all throughout the scriptures. Pride makes you stupid. And you know what? It is so true. How many times have I been defensive and find myself saying things are just really dumb? Why do I'm trying to protect myself? Well, well you too. And I go, man, that sounds like a four-year-old. You know, where, where is this coming from? You know, and it's like, my gosh, I used to be fighting. I think I was more mature. Pride will make you stupid. Here's Simon. He's been given everything in the world. He's been able to be a teacher among the people of God. He's been, had the very oracles of God. He's been able to, wow, think the thoughts that God has put out. It's amazing. It's amazing. And yet he's totally lost. All of that stuff. Every fast he's done is no good. Every tithe is no good. Every prayer is no good. Because his heart is not there. He forgot something, and that is in Luke 17, verse 7. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to that servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. 
We have only done our duty. I want the singers to start coming up here right now as I close out. Simon forgot that everything he was doing and everything he had done came about because God gave him the gift to do that. That we don't brag or have pride in and of ourselves because we're great. We have pride in the fact that God has blessed our lives, given us the ability to do certain things, and we use that for His glory. Simon forgot that. He thought that he was where he was to enhance his reputation so that men would think great of him. He was where he was to lead God's people to connect with God. And he forgot that. When you're proud of your own righteousness, when you don't feel like you need Jesus, I mean, you know you need Him at the end of life, but if you don't feel like you need Him right now, God's going to oppose you. God opposes the proud. But if you can sit there and go, you know, I've really had a lousy week. I'm really nowhere. Look at me. I've messed up so much. But God, thank you for forgiving me. Here I am. Guess what? You're going to have the grace and God Himself is going to raise you up and encourage you. Two people came together in that house way back when. One a Pharisee, one a sinful woman. Only one person walks away in peace. The other person is left to fight for their life because their pride is always going to get them trying to get something that they will never experience until they humble out. Let's be like that woman. Okay? Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Father, I, I, I thank you for the example of that woman in the scriptures. Thank you that I can follow that example. I, I want to have that type of heart, Father. I want to just be so grateful just for your forgiveness that there is no breaks. There is no... Uh, hesitancy. I just seek out what is going to please you. I pray that for all of us, Father. Help us not let pride take us out. Help us to respect your religion more than our own religion. Help us to respect your righteousness more than our own. Thank you so much that as we do that, Father, we can enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. We love you, we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.